You are listening to a podcast from The National. We are in the thick of November, and that means for those of you who know the UAE well, we are in the busy season for big events that are happening here across the country. Of course, this show will reflect that this week. Later on, we'll be talking to the Canadian Business Council, Abu Dhabi's chairman, Gregory Zugby. Before that, we'll look ahead at the big World Economic Forum event in Dubai this weekend with the WEF's head of knowledge networks, Stefan Mergenthaler. Right now, though, I'm very happy to say we're going to have our very own business editor, Masoud Darheli, come into the studio and talk to us a little bit about what's been going on in Saudi Arabia over the last few weeks. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. This is the Business Extra podcast. Masoud, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. You were at the Future Investment Initiative in Riyadh recently the big global coming out party for Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030, led by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. How was that experience? It was absolutely spectacular. It was buzzing. It was a a really stunning gathering of movers and shakers, a great lineup from all over the business and finance world with notable figures as well from, from within the region. Yeah, I noticed that Christine Lagarde, the head of the IMF, was kind of considered a second-tier participant. You had big names like Richard Branson, you had uh, Maya Sashi Son, you had all kinds of global investment and business leaders that, that everybody wanted a piece of. And they were all seemed to be there. It seems that the drawing power of Saudi Arabia is immense. Well, there's a lot of change taking place in the kingdom, uh, economically speaking, People want to be part of that action, and they want uh, they want to be part of the shifting dynamic that's taking place in the country as it plans for an era uh, post-oil in the 21st century. Uh, you and the team were very busy in Riyadh, um, speaking to a lot of people, lots of interviews, lots of coverage. You can all, always see that on the national.ae, of course. Um, but the centerpiece announcement was NEOM, a $500 billion collection of megacities, apparently, according to the to, to the, the promotional material, um, out in the middle of literally the desert, up near the Sinai and close to the northern border with Jordan. And this this was totally unexpected, wasn't it, when it, when it came out? But everybody seems to have committed to it, if you're talking about the global investment leaders who are there. It was unexpected, but I think the scale and size of the project is really what caught people by surprise because, you know, in the summer, the Crown Prince had announced a um, a massive project on the Red Sea that was supposed to leverage the strategic position of, of the country and um, nurture and cultivate a tourism industry beyond the existing tourism industry that's very much geared towards uh, pilgrims. So yes, NEOM was a tremendous project. The fact that you've got people like Richard Branson interested in it, uh, Masayoshi Sun interested in it, Virgin Hyperloop interested in it, and others as well. So if we take a step back, you you weren't just in Riyadh uh, for that trip. You you made the time to go down to Jeddah as well, another uh, economic center in in the kingdom. And you spoke to Fahad Rashid, who is the man uh, developing King Abdullah Economic City, which was another landmark project at the time that it was announced maybe a decade ago right correct yes and and he he explained to you where that project is i mean for those maybe to those maybe the uninitiated don't know the kingdom very well what's the major difference between sort of what they call 
CAKE, is that the acronym for Correct. King Abdullah Economic yes. City, uh, versus what's, what NEOM is? Well, I think it's a little bit maybe difficult to compare it to something that hasn't really yet materialized. But CAKE, which is about an hour and 20 minutes outside of Jeddah, is a massive, massive city. It's about the size of uh, Washington, D.C. It's an amalgamation of resort, office space, uh, commercial space. You know, you've got a golf course there, incubating uh, startups and uh, basically providing some form of support to entrepreneurship. They have a great college there that's affiliated, uh, or rather that that's, that's basically teaching courses with the coordination of Babson College, which is um, one of the top schools in the world for entrepreneurship. So, um, and on top of all of this, when you're there, you're, you have a stunning view of the Red Sea, this turquoise water, uh, which completely defies anything... Um, that one may expect of Saudi Arabia. So the, the, this is an international standard city on some of the most stunning coastline in the region with a population of a small town of about 7,000. Yes, are they Are they extremely lucky to have all of this to themselves or is it a matter of they need more scale to kind of get, get it really chugging along? The development, the city itself, is not 100% complete yet. They still, um, you know, they they also have a port, uh, which is supposed to be, you know, the largest port once it's completed in about a year uh, from now. And they have other developments and other facilities that they're that they're working on. So, you know, there's about 7,000 people there, but, you know, they envision that to, to, to climbing uh you know, uh, as as they build more and as they develop the premises. You've got companies like Mars there, Pfizer, uh, Sanofi, um, Petra, which is an air conditioning manufacturing company. So it's it's an, it's it's a quite a quite a mix of uh, of space that's that's there, and um, it's it's quite dynamic. So in your interview with the, Mr. Rashid, he said that they're going to draw investors, more investors to um, uh, King Abdullah Economic City. They're also potentially thinking about an IPO. Um, the, the company behind it is uh, Imar, the Economic, uh, Economic City, right? Which, Correct. Which was what well, the original name was Imar Economic City, and then it's now been developed in the King Abdullah Economic City. So, I mean, this has been around since before the financial crash. Um, it's interesting that we've almost come full circle, haven't we? Where, um, you know, 10 years ago, these plans came, the financial crisis hit everybody across the region, but this kept going. And now we're at a stage where they're, they're, they're launching new plans for mega cities, right, um, across Saudi Arabia. But do you think they're going to be competing for the same investors for Cake as they are for Neom? Or are they completely different scales? No, I think you're looking at two different dynamics there. I mean, Cake is about uh, show, showcasing Saudi Arabia's non-oil capabilities and basically uh, encouraging and supporting a manufacturing base, cultivating skill sets that um, Saudi Arabia either doesn't have or or needs to develop further. Neom is very much a city of the future um, that will leverage new technologies, uh, new methods of transport, um, artificial intelligence, robotics. Um, so, you know, there are two parallels uh, in play here. Yeah, so that one is sort of uh, visionary, 
um, essentially kind of leading uh, the country in the direction that the crown prince wants it to go. Uh, big picture, lots of ambitious targets about renewable energy and transport and, um, you know, what they're going to be doing with the with the actual technology behind the city. Um, while King Abdullah Economic City is, as you said, um, very focused on trade, logistics, um, manufacturing, industrial stuff, perhaps um, what is capable right now, currently now. So the city of today versus the city of tomorrow, if you like. Correct, yes. And I, and I also think that, you know, uh, the King Abdullah economic city is probably going to um, prove itself further down the road. You know, it's got, uh, it's already got the second largest port on the Red Sea. Um, once that's complete, you know, um, it will become even more of a strategic value they're still drawing companies. They have over 120 companies. So uh, it's a different dynamic, definitely. So you came back from uh, your very exciting trip to Saudi Arabia. And uh, as I was saying earlier in the show, November is a crazy time for business. Everybody's coming through here. Um, who came through here that you sat down with the global uh, chief executive of Siemens, uh, who was here, who met our crown prince, Mohammed bin Zayed, um, in the capital. And then you managed to catch up with him. And, and he had some interesting uh, lines about his investments. And particularly, he's on board with with Neom and Vision 2030, right? Particularly a company like Siemens that is so intertwined with Internet of Things and, and, and the connected world and digital economy? Yes, I mean, they were very... Uh, Mr. Kaiser was very, very bullish and extremely upbeat about the prospects of taking part in that project. I mean, Siemens is not new to the region. It's been here over 100 years um, in the UAE and in, in Saudi Arabia. And renewables very much on the radar of most of the Arab countries today. So yes, I mean, uh, it's a company that uh, is also intrinsic to the industries uh, that Saudi Arabia, the UAE and other countries want to nurture and grow. Well, you can read the full interview with uh, Joe Kayser of Siemens, as well as the interview with uh, Fahad al-Rashid from King Abdullah Economic City on our website, uh, national.ae. Masood, thanks for being with us. I'll let you get back to the busy season. Thank you. Great to be here. More Business Extra in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about our other podcasts. Beyond the Headlines looks at the latest news, analyzes it, speaks to those behind the story with definitely a Middle Eastern point of view. And Extra Time is the best place to listen to the English Premier League and other key sporting developments from our top team here in Abu Dhabi. Download these as well as the Business Extra podcast on Apple Podcasts or Android, or of course, go to our website at thenational.ae. Uh, joining me down the line from Dubai is Stefan Mergenthaler, the head of Knowledge Networks at the World Economic Forum, which is hosting a big summit this weekend. Uh, Stefan, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. So it's a big summit coming up in Dubai, uh, organized by the World Economic Forum. Obviously, there's a big UAE presence as well as people from around the region and the world that are coming to get together. What's the purpose of this summit and what are you hoping to achieve? So uh, it's uh, uh, what we call the annual meeting of the Global Future Council. And uh, we like to refer to it as uh, the world's largest brainstorming on, on the future. Uh, because what's unique about this summit is that we, we bring together just about 700 global experts, on the one hand, focusing on some of the breakthrough technologies that are, that are shaping what we call the fourth industrial revolution, 
And on the other hand, experts that are dealing with some of the big global challenges uh, from uh, employment systems to the environment. And what this summit tries to achieve is bring the transformative power of technology uh, to these global systems to improve them for the better. And uh, the, 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 the composition of having this uh, broad set of expertise, on the one hand, people who are at the leading edge of uh, disruptive technologies from artificial intelligence to advanced materials or biotechnology, um, who can bring uh, this expertise into uh, a conversation about some of the big global challenges uh, is, is really what makes the summit unique and um, what uh, uh, is what we look to for, for, for innovative um, new solutions for the future. Uh, the fourth industrial revolution is the term that uh, the WEF's founder, Klaus, Professor Klaus Schwab, fa- uh, came up with uh, to describe how um, automation and AI and technology would affect not just the work environment, but society in general. Um, there's been a lot of doom and gloom of late from some people saying that, you know, AI is the worst thing that could happen to humanity. But certainly, um, you know, it's, it's more nuanced than that, isn't it? Yeah, the, the idea uh, or the reason... Um our, our chairman and us as an institution coined this, this term of the fourth industrial revolution is that we, we really see um, this convergence of breakthrough technologies in many different areas, not just the digital domain, not just in artificial intelligence and, and other digital technologies, but also in the biological world with, with biotechnologies, precision medicine, genetics, and other scientific areas of, of progress. And, and the combined impact that these technologies will have will be transformative. Um, that, is, uh, that is absolutely clear. Um, but it doesn't have to be doom and gloom, as you say. Uh, one of the key reasons we convene um, a meeting like this is that, that we believe as an institution, um, we need to uh, think about the, the, the potential of these technologies. We need to think about uh, the positive uh, change that they may enable and uh, uh, put in place policies, regulations, um, efforts uh, that, that, that are built into the design of these technologies from the beginning um, to, uh, to ensure that they have the most positive effect on society. And that's, that's why we believe this um, this uh, bringing together of uh, technology experts with uh, the discussions on some of the key challenges um, in the world will enable this. Uh, Stefan, uh, some people listening to this may may be well aware that there is a big WEF uh, annual meeting in Davos every year in January. Um, what, what, what's the link between this meeting here um, in the UAE in Dubai this weekend and that big event which global leaders tend to attend um, in January? Is there is sort of a seamless transition to it? Does it feed into it? How does it work? Our meetings are, are uh, very important moments in the, in the calendar, of course, and uh, draw a lot of attention. But the heart of the work of the World Economic Forum is actually the ongoing work of uh, groups and networks of experts uh, working on specific um, global issues. And our meeting here in Dubai is really a working meeting, a two-day working meeting of these expert groups um, that are providing the, the, the deep thinking, the analysis uh, that will set the stage for um, our annual meeting in Davos. 
And in fact, um, we have um, close to 700 experts convening here in, in Dubai, um, composed in 35 different councils on specific topics, as I mentioned. And the chairs of these councils will all be attending uh, the meeting in Davos um, in order to bring into the discussion of uh, senior decision makers in Davos the outcomes of, uh, of um, the council work here, here in Dubai and along the year. There's been a lot of criticism over the last couple of years about the effectiveness of uh, multilateralism in general, but even perhaps um, uh, initiatives like the World Economic Forum. But it, as you say, it's worth noting that a lot of work goes on behind the scenes. It isn't just about these sort of set piece, um, you know, photo opportunities once a year when the, the Chinese premier mm. comes or the U.S. president attends. Um, and one of the, th- the the outcomes of this work that, that is being released this weekend in Dubai, these global transformation map mapping work uh, that the WEF's mm. councils have been doing. Um, and I've seen I've seen the one for the UAE, for example. It's fascinating showing how the UAE is transforming and more importantly, linking up all the different areas, the key areas that that each right. of the major uh, transformative um, uh, aspects such as innovation, um, etc. Uh, are linked to. And, and so no one yeah. else is doing anything on this scale. If there isn't the World Economic Forum, then no one is, is really acting as a conduit for all this knowledge that is out there in this digital age. It's uh, precisely the the point for us um, is this assessment that if we look at the world, uh, we realize, and it's it's common practice to acknowledge this, um, that the problems we are dealing with are increasingly connected, right? Um, But the reality is that our institutions, starting actually from universities, from academia, are built around disciplinary silos, if you will, um, and, and really bringing uh, together across sectors, across disciplines, um, the relevant insight and, and expertise that is needed for effective solutions in, in, in today's world is really part of the mandate of, of the World Economic Forum. And we try to um, visualize that through these, uh, through these maps um, that, that really articulate that complexity of the individual topics we are dealing with, that whether that's a country in transformation, an industry in transformation, or some of the big global trends, urbanization, uh, environmental issues, and so on. We can't look at these things in, in, in isolation. They're complex sets of issues that are shaping those. Um, and uh, a lot of the solutions will come not from the core of these uh, issues, but from the periphery. So we might see solutions to some of our issues around sustainability coming from the field of advanced materials. One of the uh, areas we'll be, we'll be discussing uh, here in Dubai. And, and the point of these, uh, of these maps is to illustrate that, uh, uh, that connection and make that knowledge that sits in different pockets of, of expertise around the world much more accessible. Stefan Mergenthaler, Head of Knowledge Networks at the World Economic Forum. Thanks so much for your time. I'll be looking forward to seeing you myself uh, at the event this weekend. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. I'll be fascinated to see how the World Economic Forum's event this weekend goes on, uh, particularly with with hundreds of the world's leading experts, the region's leading experts, uh, talking about some of the challenges facing us, but also 
how we can leverage the opportunities going on at the moment in this very complex and rapidly changing world. Uh, of course, locally, uh, that these kind of meetings are happening as well. Um, I was very happy that I managed to catch up with the uh, Canadian Business Council's chairman, Gregory Zogby, who explained the significance of these kind of organizations on the sort of emirate and, and country and region-wide level on how on the day-to-day they're helping to advance the economy as well as the overall country's ambitions. Gregory, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Mustafa. It's my pleasure. So you're the chairman of the Canadian Business Council, Abu Dhabi. So maybe we need to know a little bit what exactly is the Canadian Business Council? What does it do? What's it, what does it involve? Absolutely. We are a membership. CBC is a membership-based organization here in Abu Dhabi. We, our focus is on the relationship between Canada and the UAE, primarily on business. So as a result of that, uh, we have business executives, some of us who have lived here really for, for a few decades, actually. Some of them are new to the, to the UAE. And we try to use our relationship to develop, uh, let's say, a better relations between both countries and uh, prosperity for both countries, and especially uh, and in, in the UAE. Um, we benefit from relationships internally as well as externally uh, to Canada. And we use that to uh, what we feel is best. And is, is that mainly involving bringing new companies to set up here or even, you know, hosting UAE delegations to Canada and various industries? I mean, obviously, Canada, um, you know, aerospace, big industry, agriculture is a big industry, um, IT is sort of communications is a big industry. So there's a lot of options for trade there. The UAE is the biggest partner in the Middle East, 16th, I think, for Canada globally, um, if, if I've got the latest data. Um, and I wonder, how do you, are you developing existing businesses as well as bringing in new companies? Absolutely. And it's really, as you pointed out, both ways. So I, I get contacted on an almost weekly basis by executives who are coming to the UAE for a trip and they say, hey, we're coming here. Uh, how can we learn more about the UAE? We're thinking of doing business here. And sometimes I meet them, but a lot of times they also involve my board members and have basically do matchmaking. Uh, at the same time, uh, there have been a few delegations going from the UAE to Canada, one of them, for example, on aerospace. There was an article, I think, published by the ambassador uh, through the National in July uh, that talked about uh, the aerospace hub in Montreal and, and Ottawa as well, including defense. And uh, so they're focusing on uh, building those bilateral relationships. We've been fortunate this year in 2017 to welcome several ministers, including the Minister of International Trade, uh, and we're expecting a few more this month. Uh, And so it's really our role is to help both ways. Does it help that um, your current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, is a bit of a rock star and seems to be extremely popular, not just with Canadians, but outside as well, right? Right. Uh, actually, it does. And it's, <laughs> it's uh, because he's such a, um, such a visionary, such an open-minded person who thinks about globalization. And quite often, I have non-Canadians who come to me and say, oh, we love your prime minister, and <laughs> he's great. So it's, it's, this definitely helps on the relationship because uh, Canada, in my opinion, Canada and the UAE share a lot of values. Uh, the value of, of giving, of openness, of working together in collaboration. And Prime Minister Trudeau is a perfect example of that. So there's similar approaches to, I guess, immigration in the sense of like lots of, lots of new people coming all the time and coming to work in particular or start new lives, which is you know something that happens in the UAE as well as Canada, obviously, in different ways. Um, but I, I meet a lot of people here who are either Canadian 
or have spent time studying or working in Canada or want to go and work and study in Canada. And there seems to be a really strong pull between the people on both sides. Um, now, you know, you're running this Canadian Business Council and, and, you know, what's the feeling within it from your members in terms of the opportunities at the moment um, with the, between those links of the UAE and Canada? Well, it's a positive feeling. Uh, we have, um, and, and, and again, it's the delegation that's uh, really set the stage for it. The different, the high-level delegations go in both directions between both countries. Uh, we'll see also a lot of engagement in the community here. It's funny you bring the education example because of when I was in Canada, I met a lot of uh, students who actually grew up in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and some of them actually grew up in Canada, and all of a sudden I run into them again here. I've run into like at least half a dozen over the last few years. Uh, so uh, from that perspective, the relationship is, is going, and it's, it's growing. The feeling, uh, everybody's optimistic. Um, adding on top of that, the Abu Dhabi Chamber of Commerce Industry selected the Canadian Business Council, together with the Palestinian Business Council, actually, to organize a business groups forum uh, on their behalf, which is really an opportunity for all 30 or so business councils uh, to meet together. And this, again, brings a lot of positivity and optimism in, in, in the relationship between Canada and UAE and how Canada is viewed in the UAE. So it's, it's good you mentioned the Chamber of Commerce and in general business councils, because I think it's, it's worth understanding from your point of view, and I realize this is, you know, from your perspective rather than necessarily universal law, um, but, you know, how important are these groups, these business groups in general for economies and particularly for the UAE economy? I think they're very important, and um, because they're really their hub, their business hub. As you pointed out, when someone comes to the UAE and uh, let's say even for a business trip, they want to connect with local business executives. If a person comes from Canada, he uses CBC. And again, um, within the UAE community, we've seen as one of the doors to to Canada. We get uh, some people ask us about even immigration questions, which is why annually we have an immigration seminar. Uh, we are also, uh, the embassy involves us to organize events on their behalf, uh, even though we're an independent organization. But uh, we organize the events to promote some of the agendas, like previously it used to be a New Canada tour, which is now part, part of Najah, then some receptions, Adipak reception, and so forth. So it's, it's the same for other councils as well. So if you look at whether it's the French or the American or some of the other countries, generally speaking, uh, the exe business executives that represents uh, companies from, from their country come together here through the council. And it's really, they become a group of friends, even across councils. And, and this is, it's, it's a great feeling. It builds, uh, it builds better relationship. And I mean, I know 100 years or so, Ronald Coase came up with transaction cost economics theory on when you do business with others or not. But I think since then, we've learned that people do business with the people they like, with the people they understand and understand them back. It's not always a money issue. And the business councils help foster that spirit and that understanding between the different countries. Is there a competition between different business councils? Because essentially, you are um, chasing the same time with uh, whatever it might be, local organizations, chamber of commerce, companies, sectors, you know, there's only so many days a year, right? And there's right. so many business councils. Right. So it's, it's a good question that comes up um, from time to time. In my point of view, there are two ways to look at it. 
uh, we can say we, uh, as a business council, independent organization, we want to close ourselves and focus only on ourselves and our best interest. And there's another way, another approach where one opens up, council opens up and extends a hand and look, looks for opportunities to collaborate. And then we could look into what comes out of this. So my personal view is, uh, no, it's really more of a collaboration than a competition. Uh, quite often, usually if, if you have a Canadian company trying to do business here, they'll join the Canadian Business Council. The same thing for the French or the Americans. Now, yes, there are a few events that happen here. We also have joint council events. Every year, we organize events with, uh, with AmCham, with the French Business Group, with the Swiss, uh, Benelux, uh, and many others, and the British Business Group. So, um, so really, I think my, my personal point of view is there is much more to gain when we look at it in a collaborative manner. And, and this is... Uh, I guess this is what game theory is about. Anyways. <laughs> so membership gets you an instant network in terms of business contacts, plus maybe social as well. Um, helps you um, establish relationships with companies from other countries as well through these joint groups. Uh, helps you understand maybe the local business scene, whether it's through the Abu Dhabi Chamber of Commerce or other organizations, government-related entities. It gives you uh, probably a good link into the embassy or consulate whoever is around um, and in, in, in a sense it helps you plug into the ecosystem really fast basically now how much how do you measure or do you even measure the sort of any kind of transactional gains that come out of being part of a business council well I think um, one of the key uh, things to keep in mind is um, the council adds the most of its value early on in the business development uh, process. So it helps you come into here, fit within the ecosystem, meet people. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's a bit challenging, I guess, to measure from a company perspective. Uh, however, um, the introductions uh, that, uh, that, that are made usually the opportunity to participate and meet um, officials from the UAE and business executives from the UAE and elsewhere. That's what eventually lead to business. So if you could, you could measure it, I guess, in terms of um, how many people you meet from which organizations and the relationships that developed as part of that. Um, I think it will be, it could be a bit misleading to measure in terms of how many business deals it closed. Or, uh, or what is the, uh, or how many millions of dollars a company, or, or millions of dirhams a company does in the UAE per year, and how this evolved over time. Uh, you're an interesting case in point because you're Canadian, obviously, with Arab heritage, obviously from right. your name, right. Zogby. Yes. Um, um, and you also studied in the U in, in the UK. At one point, is that right? I I, uh, I obtained my MBA through Manchester Business School through their Dubai facility, right. but I did go to the UK for courses. You're yeah, right. and yes. uh, you work for a US company. Correct. Now, uh, yet you have risen to the chairmanship of the Canadian Business Council, right. even though you might not be pure Canada business working for a Canadian company, having done all your education there. How right. how do you become chairman of a business council? Is it is it a Political? Is it a popularity contest? Is it just hard work, right. luck, being <laughs> in the right place? Yeah, so uh, I'll answer the question, but first I just want to say it's, it's really interesting. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, when, for example, my kids get asked where they're from, it's quite difficult for them to answer because they're UAE-born 
of Canadian and the Middle Eastern heritage as well. Um, but uh, how do people rise? I think in my case, my colleagues on the board uh, saw my passion. They appreciated my passion and they saw me as someone with a vision who wants to make things different. And uh, that's what I want to do for CBC. I want to make things different. Uh, I've, uh, I think CBC has a few core capabilities. I've looked at what we're good at and what needs to be better. Uh, I think my approach, uh, as I mentioned about the collaboration, is really opening it up, bringing people in, be forward-looking rather than backwards-looking. And I think those are some of the things that the uh, my colleagues appreciated. Um, and uh, it didn't come overnight. It came because of what they saw for a, over a year, what I did for the council. And I'm just really humbled and thankful that they, they trusted me with that decision. So you've been chairman uh, since June, right? Since June, that is correct. And with the council almost two years now? Um, two and a half, yes, almost three years, I would say. Almost okay. three years. Yeah. And uh, you do, it's, it's a, your private time. It, I mean, you're not getting Correct. paid for this. No. Uh, it's it's volunteer volunteer time. It must be hard to juggle, um, you know, high power career, family, um, the council, and other things as well. Right. So I, I I've missed uh, I missed quite a few evenings. <laughs> right. That I stay away from home. I try to make it up for the family on the weekends and uh, during vacation time. So it is demanding. Uh, but what keeps me moving forward is the passion and and making a difference make a difference. It's hard. It's, uh, it needs one to stay uh, persistent and keep sight on what you believe in. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Now, there's a Canadian Business Council chapter in Dubai. Correct. Uh, and I assume in other countries in the region as well. Um, how do you collaborate with your Dubai cousins, if you like? Absolutely. So uh, I have, uh, I mean, we have, we collaborate on multiple levels. So first of all, I have a relationship with our chairman, uh, Colin. And, uh, of course, you know, when there are key events, I, I, he invites me and I, uh, I invite him for some of our events as well. So we have that relationship. But, of course, we're uh, looking to do beyond uh, just the social aspect. One example is Expo 2020. So we're uh, together discussing and working with, with others as well to see how we could uh, bring Canada to Dubai Expo 2020 and have a Canadian pavilion. I, being uh, Montreal-born, I, uh, I, I remember even a few years ago when, uh, when we went uh, to Montreal on a family trip, and uh, we took, uh, I took the kids uh, to uh, the Montreal uh, 1967 Expo site. That was, that was quite, uh, it's, it's, I was quite passionate about it and showed them around. And so for me, I have uh, some passion into this as well. I want to see Expo come to the UAE. I'm a UAE resident for nine years. But it's, it's really home right now. UAE is home. Together with Colin, who's in a similar situation, we wanted to make, collaborate on this aspect. And, of course, at the uh, full-time staff level, we have to collaborate on different events. Sometimes you advertise for their events. Other times you ad advertise for ours. So we try to enjoy it on multiple relationships. And um, people out there might recognize that uh, Canada is obviously a huge economy, um, a big oil and gas industry Um just like the UAE is having to deal with uh, lower oil prices. But the technology industries, uh, particularly if you talk about defense, uh, communications, uh, aerospace, uh, there's a lot that Canada exports to the UAE. Um, and of late, there's been quite a few deals between various companies. But when um, 
I guess it, it sort of you guys are, are counting on Brand Canada in a way of, of having that strong reputation. So when Bombardier, for example, the C Series project um, runs into a bit of trouble, and now it's been rescued by Airbus, which is great because it's a great aircraft by all accounts. Um, you know, do you do you often have to field questions about what's going on in Canada, about what's happening with some of the bigger companies, etc., when, when when you're dealing with your networking events? Um. So far, n- not much. So far, not much. I, I think, um, as you rightfully pointed out, Canada does have a strong brand, uh, but also Canada has a long history in, in, in technology and and, and uh, aerospace sector and so forth. I mean, it wasn't in... One of the topics that is favorite among Canadians is the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Avro Arrow jet fighter and the cance- cancellation of it really more than half a century ago and how it's still people are still passionate about it. So Canada actually has a long history in, in aerospace, in technology, in uh, education sector. Uh, Google recently opened an artificial intelligence uh, facility in Montreal, I think. So, I mean, obviously, it's AI is the way of the future. We've heard what happened in Saudi. UAE just appointed a minister in AI. So so Canada has, um, has the brand, but it also has a history and that it's known for. So I haven't been recently at least getting questions on why what's happening with Bombardier or others um, but I, I think it's because really the the um, the results and the products speak for themselves and uh, just to go back to kind of the idea of um, these sort of events you, you you hold events almost once a month right I guess when it's not summertime of getting people together and sometimes uh, more more than more than right. once a month yes yeah, so you guys are busy in terms of the networking um, do can you give any any tips on on good networking I mean from the chairman of the Ca- Canadian Business Council Abu Dhabi right. how do you become a better networker how do yes. you get people to remember who you are and 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 kind of that you stick in the mind if you like absolutely so I would say if I'm going to offer the two key tips I would say um, always personal stories help because for some reason people always remember them if I tell you a personal story about myself and I walk out you're more likely to remember me and the story uh, another po- point is I think as a networker um, people have to manage their time carefully meaning if someone's going into an event they shouldn't sp- stick first of all the people they know they shouldn't stick with the same person for a long time they should try to figure out what's the right amount of time to spend with a person and, uh, and come up with, with a story or with, with an event uh, or something that will make that memorable between both of them. And maybe even uh, for some of them, identify points for follow-up and say, okay, well, if you're interested in, in Bombardier, well, I was just having dinner, actually, with their local rep. Well, why are you interested in them? Well, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll send you an email. We'll follow up, and this one introduce you to the gentleman. So, you know, those type of stories, I think, I find as a networker help a lot. Um, and so to have some tangible takeaways from any kind of conversation, absolutely. interaction. Absolutely. And I don't mean this in, in a bad way, but I think one needs to, depending on their interests and what they're looking for, uh, and, and this is challenging, but over experience, people get better at it. Is essentially is environmental scanning. You scan around, try to read the body language, try to figure out roughly who's, if you don't know who's who, but who maybe are the key players in the room, realizing a networking event is, let's say, two hours, and try to have a more targeted approach to people. Uh, and uh, it may not be based on seniority or anything. It may really be ultimately you're trying to get business out of it or a relationship, let's say, out of it. And what are the, the relationships as a networker you're looking for and how do you f- identify them and focus on them 
and come up with a memorable um, item and a takeaway to move forward. So it's uh, it's not easy, but uh, I think uh, we encourage people to come at our events and practice and become better and better. <laughs> Gregory Zugby, Chairman of the Canadian Business Council Abu Dhabi, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was the Business Extras podcast for this week, a very meaty show to reflect how busy the current business environment is in the UAE. Very exciting times. Uh, many thanks to our guests, of course, for being here and to our producer, Manny. I hope you download this and every other podcast The National produces from Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your content, or of course, from thenational.ae. Please join us again next week. I've been Mustafa Al-Rawi. Thank you very much. <laughs>